Hi guys, welcome back to the Synapse Pod. Today we have our usuals. As as per the last three episodes, some were missing, but uh, we have a lot of people here today. So we have Avinash, uh, we have Paras, we have Saranj, Hello. we have Ayush, and we also have our pro guest today, Tushar. What's up? What's up? <laughs> As so, was established in the last episode, Abha is a beautiful name. You don't have to do that, bro. So I would I would leave the pro introduction to the pro himself. Tushar, please go ahead. Hi everyone, my name is Tushar. I work for a fund called Alpha Wave, and I lead uh, actually not lead but do a lot of early stage investments for them in crypto and Web three. So Tushar is a pro, and uh, since uh, a lot of us are not prepared at all for today's topic. So we will we will let the conversations flow from the pro to the others. Yeah, <laughs> is that you guys are going the... to be so disappointed, so <laughs> disappointed. Like you have no idea. Setting the expectations <laughs> absolutely there. So guys, uh, today's interesting topic is all about crypto, and uh, we are going to uh, deep dive into multiple aspects of crypto, uh, starting from the origin stories to the latest. Magnificent crash <laughs> to the future. So I would, I would, uh, I would essentially ask the guest to start off. Pro guest. The yeah. pro guest to start off with the story of what is crypto, how it came into being, why is everyone going bonkers about currencies, coins, NFTs, and everything virtual. So what what is happening, Tushar? Like what what the fuck I mean, is going that's on? A- that's at this point that's a 2 trillion dollar question <laughs> of what is happening yeah uh, but look essentially if you were to like really dial back on how all of this started uh, it, the origin story is basically this one white paper by satoshi nakamoto which laid out the origins of bitcoin and how it's going to work but the intent was really to build a system of value transfer that would work in a way which is permissionless decentralized and anyone anywhere across the world with some computing power at their disposal should be able to create mine and mint in a way that the rules of the game are known to everyone and the rules of the game cannot be changed so that everyone knows what they are doing right so today for example if the fed prints a lot of money and which is what happened over the last two three years and they basically debase the currency for a lot of other countries causing hyperinflation causing you know uh, exchange rate problems capital flows etc etc but essentially what the idea behind say setting up of bitcoin was that the, the rules of the game are known that there are going to be 21 million bitcoins this is going to be the emissions emission schedule this is the rate at which it's going to happen this is what you need to do to be able to claim a bitcoin this is what you, this is how the fee transfer is going to happen and that law is basically that trust is now placed instead of a central authority it is placed in smart contracts and code mm. Which allows it to be automatically executable without any human intervention, and hence making it kind of immune to human interference, leading to adverse outcomes for millions of people around the world. Right. So that's what the origin story of Bitcoin was. Then, but Bitcoin in itself, back in the day, was a limited blockchain in terms of its use case. You could not program it a lot more. You could only use it for value transfer from one person to the other. Right. So that is when, in I think 2013 or 14, uh, Ethereum came about, which had the properties of Bitcoin, but with an additional, which I think was a very significant innovation around smart contracts. Mm-hmm. So the ability to add rules mm-hmm. to the automatically executable blockchain layer 
right which would allow things to happen on their own so for example uh, and this is how a lot of uh, decentralized finance today works right that if your collateral falls below a certain threshold then they will automatically liquidate your uh, collateral so that uh, you don't basically, so that you know you, you your loan gets paid off essentially mm-hmm. right uh now this concept of margin calls also exists in our trad five world right where people will take a loan to buy certain shares yeah. and if the value of their pledge goes below a certain price then the banker with which you hold the collateral is supposed to execute is like supposed to automatically execute uh, or automatically liquidate uh, that uh, or ask that, for more yeah or ask for more or yeah. ask for more right yeah but that asking for more or that human intervention leading to the liquidation is where a lot of inefficiency has happened in the past right and a lot of these small uh, asset price bubbles have basically come about on the information arbitrage that exists with one bank and not the other yeah right so now this is a very very simplified example right which is you can think of this as immutable if this then that uh, core infrastructure that we have right. uh, so so that is what ethereum sort of came about right uh and this was the addition property which made ethereum extremely composable mm-hmm. where you could play with it like a lego block and build things on top of each other right cascade and create user use cases etc around that uh and that is essentially how the ethereum ecosystem started now we can go in multiple ways but basically ethereum became the smart contract layer mm-hmm. and hence had a lot of demand for the platform yeah. right which led to a lot of sluggishness <coughs> in the platform as well because with more demand the fees would go up the you know the transaction times would take a longer time to finalize uh and as a result of that we had this we had these two offsprings come out from that first was the conception of alt layer ones right mm-hmm. so things like solana avalanche <coughs> uh cosmos polkadot and a bunch of other things right where they were saying that we like what ethereum has done with marrying blockchain with smart contracts but let us try and make that incrementally more so, efficient so before we deep dive into sure. the, the the marriage of uh, blockchain yeah. and smart contracts tushar how would you for our uh, viewers right uh, who are new to crypto and understanding about blockchain and the decentralized world how would you define what is a blockchain with respect to and we have heard a lot of terms like ledgers and uh, decentralized finance built on top consensus uh, how would you how would you go about for the layman defining what is a blockchain and then what is a smart contract built on top of the blockchain sure i think i can do a good job at that because i am a layman myself and mm-hmm. i basically know nothing but basically like think of it this way right the six of us are stand as a sitting in this room right and uh, today how does the transaction happen right uh, chirag has to pay avinash for example and chirag would tell his bank that pay avinash 10 dollars or you should be paying him a lot more because it's your chirag so but uh, but you have to tell him you have to tell your bank that pay avinash 10 dollars right your bank will basically take an instruction debit 10 dollars from you and credit 10 dollars to him right Correct. it's essentially an entry like an in an excel sheet like if you had to basically dump it down right mm. now what if all of us agree that look we are, we don't want a bank in the picture anymore and we all have to transact with each other mm. now how will that happen right we all what we'll do is our starting point would be that we all would know what each other's balances are right and then we all would have a sheet of paper right all six of us would have a separate sheet of paper where we are all writing down each transaction as it is happening right mm. so if chirag pays avinash 10 dollar i write that you write that you know everyone writes uh, everyone writes the same transaction <laughs> and then say paras pays ayush and saraj pays me uh, so then we all write each of these transactions down 
right? And at the end of that page, right, wherever that page ends, we tally down what the what the balances in each other's accounts are, right? Hmm. Now the way this works is that we all, sh- because we all heard the same transactions, right? We all should be writing exactly the same thing down, yeah. right? If I'm deb- if if he's sending ten dollars to him. It's a simple transaction. We know where the ten dollars are being debited from and credited from, and should right. be true for everyone else. Right? right now, if I'm a bad actor in the system, I would write that hey, it's not ten dollars; it was nine dollars that were credited to Avinash's account. Right? But when we will tally all six of our pages, we'll get to know that I was wrong and all five of you were correct. Mm-hmm. Right? Majority was correct. Yeah. So this is essentially the principle of how a blockchain operates: that you write down all tra- that everyone who's a decentralized node. Or a decentralized validator across the world writes down each transaction, and the and what is considered to be correct or valid is the transaction that everyone else has agreed upon was correct or valid, right? So there are like thousands or even millions of decentralized people around the world who are writing these transactions down, and then they do this, right? Now, if my if my, now now let's assume that we have to seal the page, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we say that all right, this page is full of the transactions now, and we have to open up a next page. But before we do that, we go to seal this page. Now, to seal this page is where the cryptographic solution comes into the picture, which means that basically there is some mathematical uh, computations that we do, where the idea is that hey, whatever is the answer to that mathematical puzzle we are solving, is the code to open this page up now. Correct. Right. And that is the that is where the cryptography element comes into picture, yeah. right, which helps all of us coordinate. So now, let's say I come up with the solution for that mathematical problem first, and I put the seal, and I say that the sealing number for this page is call it number one, two, three, four, five, right? Now, because I was the fastest to do this, I will get a reward, which is called mining a block, mm-hmm. right, or mining a Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? So that is my reward for doing that call calculation the fastest. Right. Now, why would I be able to do the calculation the fastest? The reason I would be able to do that. Is because I will need to set up like this entire rigging equipment, right? This entire mining equipment, ASIC chips, cooling facilities, yeah. stuff like that, right? Running like a proper server. Now, if I do that, then I'll be able to. Uh, then I'll be the fastest amongst all of you. True. But for me to be able to do that, I will need to invest upfront heavily in the equipment, in the infrastructure, incur a lot of fixed costs behind that, right? Now, think what happens if I'm incorrect. If I'm incorrect, then all the power, all the energy cost, all the infrastructure that I've set up, will basically go to waste because I will not get a reward out of it, right? So that is my disincentive. Hmm. This is what we call proof of work. This code that has been generated after those mathematical calculations hmm. is what we call proof of work, basically, right? Now, for any system to exist, you need to have an incentive and a disincentive, right? The incentive here is that if I'm the fastest, I'll get the block, mm-hmm. right? Which will be valued at whatever, like Bitcoin is what twenty thousand, twenty-five thousand, thirty thousand dollars today, yeah. right? So that's my value for doing that. And if I get it wrong, then I would have like had to forego all the cost that I'd incurred with this block, which includes my, uh, you know, cost of electricity, cost depreciation, fixed cost, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that is what is called proof of work. Now, this is the this is a block. What we have discussed so far, mm. a page with transactions with a ceiling code on top. Mm. Now, when we do these things over and over again, right, the code for the next page will have a reference to the code for the previous page, right, and that is how you create like a chain of blocks, literally a blockchain, right, which becomes traceable. So, if you want to open up page number n, which is locked now, then you open it up, you look at all transactions, and then you will have to open up page number n minus one, 
then you will open page number n minus two, and so on and so forth till you get to the genesis block, which is block zero. Now, when that happens, it creates a chain of what the longest chain basically then becomes the most acceptable chain. So tomorrow, if I am a bad actor and I say start messing up some transaction that I am writing down, then it will create a fork in the chain, right? Which will create a separate layer of transactions. But because those transactions are not being voted on by the rest of the community as being the correct transactions, right? In that case, my blockchain will not be like the chain that I have started will not be as long as the chain which was originally meant to be, right? Or the 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 truest blockchain in yeah, that sense, yeah. right? And this is basically the concept of blockchain. Now, the the key property that we were discussing earlier, like decentralization, mm -hmm. the ability to uh, you know permissionlessly do mm -hmm. stuff, mm -hmm. comes from the fact that maybe six of us in a room can still coordinate and try and mess things up. Mm -hmm. But when there are hundreds and thousands of people who are doing this globally, that coordination almost becomes next to impossible. True. Yeah. Now, embedded in this concept of proof of work is the concept of network uh, complexity or network intensity. Right? Mm. So what that does is that if there are many, many more uh, Bitcoin miners who are contributing energy, mm. it becomes that much harder to solve that computational problem. The mathematical code generating that mathematical it's, code is essentially a competition between multiple Mul nodes. Then, yeah. Right? yeah, no, but there's competition to be the fastest. Yeah, but the 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 network itself increases the complexity of the mathematical calculation. Yeah, yeah. right. Becomes the equation becomes tougher. Yeah, so, so that, then you have to commit that more resources for each block to confirm pretty much remains <laughs> remains the same. Yeah. right. It remains the same, and also the cost that in that you have to incur when there are more and more people involved increases. Right. So then some people who are below the cost curve, they will go out of the market, hmm. right? Then the network intensity will come down again because there are fewer participants. And then when it becomes again, it becomes simpler, then the cost will go up again because the intensity is going up. And that's how it balances that, hmm. right? So it's, so as an economic, you used to learn about the perfectly competitive economic markets, right? Yeah. I think this is probably the closest example we have to that in real life today at this point. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So this is how, a, so I mean, to answer your, it's a long winded answer yeah. to your yeah. question, but this is how a blockchain works. This is what proof of work is and yeah. this is how Bitcoin operates. There is now proof of work is one consensus mechanism. Yeah. There are other consensus mechanisms now, which are supposed to be more efficient, like proof of stake, yeah. uh, which has come up now. Yeah. So Ethereum is now moving to proof of stake. Ethereum was proof of work. Uh, but there are other blockchains uh, like AVAX, Polygon, etc., which yeah. are all proof of stakes. Yeah. Now, in proof of stake, now remember what is the the requirement for having this proof mm -hmm. of work mm -hmm. is to have the dialogue between the incentive and the disincentive, so that the bad actors can go out and the good actors can stay. Right. right. Now, in proof of stake, in a very crude sense, what ends up happening is mm -hmm. that instead of committing the resources in terms of the infrastructure and everything upfront, they don't ask you to do that. What they ask you to do instead is that, let's say, if Ethereum is, call it uh, proof of stake, let's assume that, right? Then you will be asked to stake or like put or like bet a certain number of ETH mm. on the blockchain to have the privilege of becoming a validator mm. or the confirmer or the node of the transaction, right? Now, what will happen is if you report an incorrect transaction as right. being correct, right? Then as a disincentive, they will confiscate your stake or a certain part of your stake, mm. right? And that creates the negative economic incentive for you to not be a bad actor. Mm. Mm. And if you do the correct transaction, mm. right, then they will give you a certain reward in terms of additional ETH. So it's you. more like penalizing, right? Ha, it's, yeah, it's exactly yeah. that. It's yeah. just in proof of work, the penalization was not as obvious and as direct. In proof of stake, it is very direct that yeah. you have so, a certain stake. So somehow to, to a layman like me, it feels like proof of work was mo much more on basic competition between 
different actors whereas proof of proof of stake is like it's like a gated entry i need a pass to enter the competition is it would you would you say it's something similar to this yeah yeah i mean yeah that's one way to put it you can say that it's about yeah you to become the to have the yeah. privilege you have to do that but even in proof of work dude like because the cost of these equipment and these mines etc is so high it is essentially yeah. so i would say the instead of a gated entry the concept is that you have to invest upfront yeah right and put that upfront economic incentive on the line yeah. to become a validator right yeah. so that there is some recourse if you are a bad actor hmm. and there is some some upside if you are a good actor exactly you need to ask in the game you need to ask in the game exactly. basically that, yeah. That is exactly. yeah yeah so that is something similar with, between both these staking mechanism or yeah the consensus mechanism right. yeah right. but yeah proof of work was v1 yeah. now as the ecosystem has evolved people have yeah. done solved more cryptography yeah. problems so proof of stake is p2 and, and there are other interesting consensus mechanisms also but i think we are good with yeah. proof of stake yeah yeah i get it so so we are also seeing the the world move from proof of work to proof of stake and like why do you guys think that is happening and what is the what is the and i and i've heard like there are a lot of uh, uh global warming concerns and energy being used concerns right for proof of work so what do you think how the world will change specifically with respect to uh different blockchains moving to proof of stake or other consensus mechanisms so see for proof of work i mean mm. i think it was a great start mm. uh i'm not sure how much of it was really anticipated that it would turn out something as big as this that at this scale suddenly energy is a concern the environmental impact is a concern but long story short we are here mm. so proof of stake of course looks to be an efficient way a more green way mm. to achieve the same objective of decentralization so that is definitely true but i also find another good part about proof of stake is that and correct me if i'm wrong that it's good now for a new chain to come up with let's say proof of stake than proof of work with proof of work probably it would be easy for someone to overtake the whole network by putting in the resources up front to take up more than 50% of the processing power while proof of stake if essentially you are saying you will have to stake something and if you are caught in a bad act then that can be removed so it's no more just a game of putting the resources and taking yeah. over the chain probably there is i mean a, a supercomputer can actually take over a proof of work network very easily very easily correct yeah right. but guys like i'm just trying to understand this right and just for my, like my clarity you're saying okay in proof of work people need to buy shit then stake that shit to enter the game of winning a reward correct yeah. for a newbie who is just coming in with the escalating prices of that shit which is the asset how do you see a person being born in 2010 entering this game in 2000 28 when he's 18 or she's 18 where the price of sky rocketed and the amount of asset that they can buy and stake simultaneously becomes tougher because then they, they, there's a fiat value to it how then, how, yeah. how would that happen so there are always uh, like pools hmm. that you can be a part of even in proof of work there are there are lot i mean you do not have to like hook your computer like one one gpu to hmm. the network and like hmm. become a validator you won't get anything because you'll be like 0.0001 percent of the hmm. validator of the overall hmm. network right so so then that is the then that there comes the concept of pools hmm. you can be a part of a pool who is a bigger pool i hmm. mean there are a lot of pools like uh, that are contributing like 14 percent of um, the liquid uh, like, like the validator node similarly in proof, proof of stake also i mean you can become a part of like binance is one binance is a lot of 
uh, is a part of a lot of proof of stake pools, right? Binance itself is a bigger pool where you can actually go uh, create your account and you can you can just stake your uh, uh, stake your coins to get some I mean interest in terms of uh, staking in this in return of staking your coins and and become a part of that pool. But I used to do things so like we we all started with this concept of decentralization to give. the power back to the people yeah, right. by removing central entities yeah. with the concept of pools coming in what prevents institutions and central entities to group together pooling up and enjoying the maximum resources well no or, that is where, or, sorry just to yeah. just to cut you off on that right that is where the network intensity is important right when you feel that if you are becoming uh, you know as the computational power keeps on increasing mm. in a proof of work as well as in proof of stake right mm. in both cases if the resources deployed keeps on increasing mm. right the in the toughness of the calculation keeps on going up right so that is how they automatically balance it because as the toughness will keep on going up for the marginal person coming into the ecosystem mm. right the cost of mining will go up or the mm. cost of mining that marginal block will go up but right? doesn't it go up for so, everyone no right, so exactly let's see see from this perspective that if there is x processing power in the network yeah and i have 10% share mm. of that so basically i am getting 10% of the rewards mm. now for me to go from 10 to 20% i just don't have to deploy 10% more computation power i probably have to deploy much more exponentially more yeah, exponentially yeah. more yeah. because just when i try to put 10% more computation power the toughness increases and my share is no more 20 yeah. that's, that's how they are controlling the liquidity right at the end of the day for any currency isn't that how they are controlling the liquidity that the whole concept so obviously they brought into a lot of technicalities i just wanted to think that you know from this perspective why it was started like what vishal mentioned right it was a uh, a medium through which you were just controlling the liquidity that no government just comes against and print this proper algorithm that runs right and obviously we've seen uh, it branch off to many more use cases right like i don't think anyone would have thought nft could be a use case uh, when when kind of blockchain started right so uh, and obviously they i think a lot the ecosystem has also done a lot to kind of help the people build over top of it So, just going to shift shift a little gears from technical aspects into what as per you guys are some of the core things that the you know ecosystem has done to support and build more over the Web three, right? What what uh, because level one change, level two change, venturing into NFTs. DeFi was obviously a very primary use case that came up because the fundamental layer lied on financials, right? Yeah. So, yeah. what were the other yeah you know uh, different use cases that evolved, and what do you think are the primary? Uh, The ecosystem. How is that ecosystem contributing in developing those? Right. So I even mean, I want to add a little point on this. Yeah, yeah. Please. So I think when the transition came from Web one to Web two, when the mobile phone came into picture, you got a new set of things like a GPS, camera, pedometer in your phone, and that led to a lot of new application built up. With Web three, we have to understand what new native things are coming along with it, because in the first few years, we have seen people just converting Web two to Web three. Right, not understanding the intrinsic value of it. So let's say in the part of login or you know database of uh, all the user base that you're creating, that becomes an important part. So I then will imagine that all the web two products will become web three enabled at least on the login part, so that I know my credentials are where we store your identity right? basically my identity. Yeah. So right. I think that will become an intrinsic uh, you know application of web three. Similarly. On the other aspects of it, I think in entertainment or in uh, content consumption, all I see a lot of value in that. Before before uh, deep diving into multiple different categories, I will just want to pinpoint on DeFi 
which is finance right uh, and and just just a, 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 a like just telling telling about a story which i read uh, uh, and uh, does does anyone know what happened in argentina back in the 1990s right yeah, yeah. and the argentinian story is very famous yeah. right uh, so so just for a, just for our audience like what what used to happen was a a, a working mother of two right used to go to go, go to work do do the day's hard work get the argentinian peso uh the argentinian currency when, and and the time she had left in the morning she could buy two apples with that day's work when she comes back she could only buy one the currency in days time would fluctuate so much that it would literally lose value the government was devaluing the, go- the, the government was rapidly printing shit loads of money to offset some kind of debt this yeah. right <laughs> yeah so and that's that's a beautiful aspect with respect to controlling supply that you are able to create value and increasing value as 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 the as as more supplies are unlocked so right? that so that's a great story so basically that's that's what uh blockchain was meant for like yeah. you can you can actually like uh, i somehow feel it started as a social movement where yeah. people just wanted to go against yeah. this bullshit which yeah. of printing money but, but with the concept of like uh, super volatile markets like the price of bitcoin i mean the same yeah. thing was happening in the bitcoin right one day you could buy buy a yacht <laughs> the exactly. other day you can not even buy a trouser like so similar volatility <laughs> volatility <laughs> how it goes from yacht to trouser <laughs> right i mean this yeah the spectrum in avalanche is yeah so so that that was actually the uh, that same issue was actually translating to uh, the volatile nature of the like the blockchain the bitcoin bitcoins and other currencies and that is when so what what is blockchain or tokens in blockchain offers like borderless permissionless transfer of money and you you don't need any central authority to give you permission to transfer from a to b and limited supply and limited supply which right but it was missing that uh, price stability mm. right why why do i buy uh, why, why was i why was i not buying argentina argentine uh, currency because it was volatile right mm. so then there uh, we launched the concept of stable coins mm. so stable coin was something that was not volatile in nature it was based on blockchain it was permissionless it was borderless and it had all the good things of a blockchain so let's we can we can actually talk a bit yes yeah so coin exactly like both best of both worlds right and how right. it came into sure so so uh, so getting into stable coins we know that the stock market is crashed and that's exactly what we talked in the last pod and we have also seen that the crypto market has crashed so everyone is crying wolf at all places like the wealth not wolf people have been wiped yeah, out it's yeah. exactly yeah so it's actually crying so i i, I was just, what i was doing i was just thinking wolf is dead yeah yeah the wolf is dead i was just thinking like it's literally we have some supporters of crypto and stock market that this is the bearish market we can buy 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 <laughs> but uh, anyway so yeah it's so things are pretty bad outside for any kind of asset class i would say um how uh, what caused it what caused the i mean we all know what caused it yeah <laughs> i we will not get into the recession thing yeah. because we covered it but what caused the crypto crash and uh, uh, i would i would love to go back to our pro there um, yes. where, like what happened why did the btc crash and then it took all all down 
uh, what, le- what led to the tumbling sure. dynamo? Just uh, one one question that I'll add on that, Tushar, uh, that probably will take up. A lot of people obviously are correlating that, you know, uh, they used to think that Bitcoin is a hedge against, uh, you know, inflation. And they correlate that, you know, because of this inflation uh, or whatever the bubble that was formed, right, overvaluing companies, the stock market crashed. But they correlated that, you know, we, we thought that Bitcoin was supposed to be a hedge against this, but Bitcoin too crashed, right? Uh, so, you know, how much of that would you probably correlate to you know, the overall macroeconomics versus what happened specifically in crypto? So, if you could take sure. that. Sure. Yeah, look, so, I mean, there are, I would say, two things to think about here, right? First is that, uh, as you guys pointed out, uh, all assets were fundamentally mispriced over the last two, three years, right? Because of the, because of low interest rates. Uh, so some of so it's a cascading scale, right? So a large part of that money went to call it stock markets. Then some part of it went to crypto. Some part of it, like there were angel investors popping up all over the world, right? So so across all asset classes, there was a huge asset price inflation. And as soon as the interest rates starting increasing, the risk reward became off, right? And which is why a lot of liquidity went out of the markets, right? So that was the first general macroeconomic crash. The second contributor to the crash, uh, which is specific to the crypto markets, was the the systemic fallout because of uh, UST and Luna failing, right? Uh, and we can dive deep into that if you guys would like. But uh, basically, what happened was that Luna, which was an eighteen billion dollar protocol, in a span of like forty eight hours, basically went down to zero, right? Uh, and because Luna was backing a stable coin, which was UST, there was a lot of systemic risk involved all across the ecosystem. Because think about this way: right? that there were a lot of places where you could lend your UST and borrow some other currency, mm-hmm. right? And that UST was over collateralized versus that currency. Yeah. But suddenly, UST is worth a lot less now. So someone has to liquidate that currency, mm-hmm. right? That currency has to be liquidated, so the price of that currency comes down, right? And that pair was like backtracking some other pair in some other decentralized exchange, yeah. right? And then someone else has to liquidate something else, right? So that created this cascading effect all across the ecosystem, yeah. along with general like panic in the public where they started selling off, which led to the first level of crash, right? The second level of crash then came when a lot of portfolios had to be rebalanced, right? So a lot of like call it large investors, whales, institutions, they all had like diverse portfolios with with a certain risk profile, right? But suddenly they saw, oh, Luna is crashing. Oh, suddenly UST is depecked, right? And hey, this thing that I was holding is down 30% now. So I now need to sell something else so that my portfolio gets rebalanced, right? Or I need to book some profits now, right? So that led to the second level of crash. And this was obviously in the broader context of the macroeconomic environment. All of this basically retraced the crypto markets down by, I don't know, like 40 to 50% plus, right? Yeah, but I want to rewind a little bit sure. before we jump to the next part. Yeah. So what I understand about Luna and the UST was that they were pegged to each other in a way that if the UST price is shooting up, it will automatically have an algorithmic stabilization in which it will, you know, like it will, people will burn uh, UST to buy Luna and it decreases its supply. Okay, so people, people are actually not going to burn it. So UST is a stable coin, mm-hmm. which is algorithmically pegged to Luna. Yeah. So if I burn one, if if I create one UST, which is equal to one equivalent to one dollar, mm-hmm. then algorithm will burn one dollar worth of Luna. Yeah. Worth of. Worth of. Yeah. 
If I burn one USD, then it creates one dollar worth of Luna. So that is also a logic, right? That if you are are like you own Luna, yeah, it will always be sold against one USD. No, no. I mean, if you want. So basically, what was happening? So what was happening was there's there's one defi protocol on Terra, which Mm -hmm. was giving a twenty percent interest on USD. Anchor. Anchor protocol. Anchor protocol. Right. Yeah. So it's like twenty percent FD on a stable coin, right? Twenty percent. Interest on NFT. Mm-hmm. So what people were doing, they were having this Luna. They were going and converting the converting Luna to USD, mm-hmm. like giving hundred dollars worth of Luna, getting hundred USD, and they were putting it to, into that Anchor protocol mm-hmm. in order to get twenty percent interest. Mm-hmm. Right. So suddenly, what happened was, so Anchor was having fourteen billion dollars of deposits of Luna, of fourteen billion. Uh, billion of USD. Wow. Suddenly. The market saw decline in these deposits. Mm-hmm. What happened? This triggered depegging of USD, which was worth one dollar, to by five cents, point nine nine five. Yeah, but dollars. this suddenly happened because one guy. Yeah, I mean it, those are different theories. I'm just telling They're like theories. how what what happened. Later. And what what is the theory like? What is the theory like? So basically, the theory is that if you have like billion dollars in your wallet today, mm-hmm. right, you can suddenly. Sell a lot of USD. You can get a lot of Luna, mm. like convert into USD. Mm. Suddenly, you dump all the USD. So what will happen? It will suddenly there is a lot of increased liquidity in the market for Luna. Yeah. Right. Which was which will destabilize the liquidity, uh, the price of USD because these are pegged together. Mm. As soon as that happened, so if let's say simple, if uh, if a coin is worth one dollar, tomorrow it's point nine dollar. So what if I have hundred of those coin? What I'll do? I'll sell those and convert to Luna because my USD is worth nine dollar, but I'll get Luna worth of ten dollar. Yeah. Suddenly I'm making a profit. Yeah. So a lot of people started buying USD at a cheaper price and like flipping it to Luna because they were getting worth more the money. And Ayush, I also heard this that there was another protocol on the Terra blockchain that called something called Magic Coins, where 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 people would come and they would stake their USD US Terra and they would get free magic coins, then use those magic coins to buy Luna, buy more buy more USD and pump it back in. So they so so one one USD would come give one magic coin which they will sell for one USD. Now suddenly I have two USD and I would get two magic coins. I have no idea. And and, and yeah. If and, this was the case. It should have happened. Much. So, no, exactly. So, so, so somehow I, I, I read somewhere no, that it was the second blip. This uh, magic coin is fine, but uh, the 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 more important or the more systemic risk here was with Anchor, yeah. right? Mm. Because Anchor had the largest amount of liquidity, mm. uh, and one guy holding so much. No, it's not. No, it's not one guy holding. So, Anchor is a protocol in and of itself, right? Yeah. So, it's a product built on top of Luna, yeah. right? Yeah. And you know what? So, there were a lot of people who were talking about that. You know, this setup is wrong, and they were raising their voices. But the solution that was given by Terra Lab was that it is exactly what Uber and Lyft used to do. And they were used to give heavy discounts initially to increase adoption. It's basically and that. That was anchor. Idea. Anchor was basically like a mm-hmm. customer acquisition scheme anchor, for yeah. for for USD, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Now, and look, initially to bootstrap some of these networks, you need to have initial sources of liquidity, right? The problem was that Anchor grew so much in size, mm-hmm. uh, but how does a bank operate, right? Bank gives you seven percent interest on your savings yeah. account, and it lends it forward at twelve percent, right? Yeah. And that's how the bank earns money and banks chase solvent. Is the ratio that they're putting? I mean, whatever it is, right? I'm just giving an example, roughly, mm-hmm. that 
<clears throat> you stay solvent because you are lending for more than what you are getting for, mm. right? Yeah. Now in Anchor's case, there was no demand for more than twenty percent, mm. right? Like no one was willing to borrow from Anchor. Borrowing was so deposits were fourteen billion and borrow was two billion. Correct. So there was so there was no basically demand. So what basically was happening over the last six months as well was that Do Kwon, who is mm. the founder of Terra, he would like keep dropping like some of his. Capital mm. to backfill the anchor treasury, mm. right? So there was like two hundred millions in March, like five hundred million dollars in mm. December, mm. right? So like there is all of these activities on chain, mm. so it's traceable. Mm. So basically, what Dokuan would do then was that he would dump his Luna that mm. he held personally, mm. right? Take the dollars out, mm. put that in the anchor treasury, and give twenty percent discount, twenty percent returns mm. on the UST on the anchor protocol. So I mean, like, this scheme was unsustainable. Mm. But I don't think it was fundamentally incorrect to bootstrap a network to begin with. The biggest problem was that the Terra ecosystem became like so much off anchor, right? Mm. I think like last I heard, like some eighty-five percent plus of UST's liquidity was actually staked on anchor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So UST basically had no other utility. Yeah, or had very limited utility yeah. apart from being an anchor, got right? It. So, so it became more centralized, concentrated. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's concentrated. Right? Centralized yeah. is not the right word, but yeah. it like became yeah. more concentrated, yeah. right? And when the only utility is that someone is giving you twenty percent, yeah. like how much can Dokuan dump, yeah. right? Without Luna prices going down substantially mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, 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 what happened was there was a governance proposal on anchor. Uh, where it said that hey we are going to move to dynamically priced yields now mm-hmm. right dynamically which price yields mm-hmm. so instead of giving you 20% we'll give you whatever the market dictates within a okay. reasonable yeah. bound rate up to 15 up to 15 million there's something yeah. there, there yeah. was some calculation behind it but the idea was that hey this 20% is unsustainable so let's try and bring it down to something lower and make it more sustainable mm. but as soon as that happened a lot of liquidity went out of the anchor ecosystem okay. right and because ust has no other utility apart from anchor mm. So people were like, okay, let's dump UST, right? Mm-hmm. So dump means flip to another. Flip to Luna, yeah, flip, like they sell UST. Yeah. I mean, you sell UST and then you figure out whatever you want to do, right? Right. So or, or like do whatever, but you're selling UST basically because you're US, not getting the twenty percent. Right? Yeah, because you're not getting twenty percent. And again, in the broader context, interest rates are starting to rise up now. So institutions which had money locked up in anchor, they're like, hey, let's look at the risk of adjusted rates and maybe I put it in some other asset class now, right? So there's more liquidity that went out of the ecosystem. So, because Anchor was now losing AUM, mm. right, and at the same time UST has very limited other use cases, mm. people were forced to sell UST because what do you do with that, mm. right? And uh, when you do that, like obviously there is sell pressure on Luna. So Luna had already started to come down a little bit before this entire catastrophe happened, right? Then there is, uh, I mean, there are many theories, but basically what happened was that on one or two specific days there was a coordinated sell off of ust yeah. because people were trying to get off that position right and what started happening was that uh, you sell a ust right and then you are like okay 5 cents lower i'll take it okay i'll sell it at 95 cents on binance right okay okay i'll sell it at 93 cents on binance right all of that kept on happening right now what happens how this death spiral works is for for some of the for for, for luna specifically was that if the peg is going down right if it, the peg is below that then they then they like print more luna right and if you print more luna the supply of luna goes up and the price of luna goes down correct right so now the price of luna is going down and at the same time people are still dumping ust yeah so that means both the things are falling now yeah. right in tandem with each other we're supposed yeah. to we're just supposed to balance yeah, out each other luna was supposed to yeah. balance out ust now but it's not like this death spiral was not known it was known right i mean it was a systemic risk that everyone who bought into the ecosystem implicitly knew about right and there was a backstop also available 
the backstop was that in the contract that these guys had written there was a backstop that you can't uh, i think it was a 100 million cap or a 150 million dollar cap but you can't burn more than this in one single day so you try and spread out the system yeah. risk over time yeah but as soon as they hit that 100 million cap there was like panic already was widespread in the market mm-hmm. right so that's when the retail started dumping in like droves and droves right and everyone this basically retail institutions they felt like this is the time to get out now and which is why you saw such a massive sell off over a two day period right mm-hmm. like this is i was in chicago actually coming back from a terra hackathon by the way in chicago wow. and <laughs> on my flight back from chicago to india basically everything had happened uh, <laughs> yeah. golden coin went to become a digital toilet paper <laughs> i mean i i cannot believe in the morning i was at a hackathon which was basically doing like terra stuff it was a terra only hackathon <laughs> it was a terra only hackathon and before i landed in india everything had gone away wow. <laughs> right somebody uh, somebody so, hacked the ecosystem in the hackathon pretty much pretty much somebody <laughs> knew that you know if the shard is not available then only this can happen yeah i mean <laughs> well, you you were so as jokewon famously said my size is not size dude so yeah surprise man so so if the fallback was like let's say 10 million dollars and not 100 million the amount the max that you could have burned in a day would this have been avoidable to an extent or well the problem is then the ecosystem down, no right? but then the ecosystem would have scaled right that would have scaled yeah right because you so need would be tough to then to 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 keep going up also no mm-hmm. the 100 million is not just it, it's not only a backstop for the debt spiral right it is also a constraint for people up. coming into the right? yeah. system like so i mean million. 10 million dollars is what mm-hmm. 10 million dollars is like 0.001% of a16z's fund right mm-hmm. so if they want to buy luna uh, or like if they want to buy usd then basically the blockchain will stop yeah. working for the day yeah, yeah. right if they so, so fundamentally to say what what decides whether the stablecoin won't get adopted or not for example usdt usdc or some varieties so these are very well adopted coins while fundamentally everyone is supposed to be one dollars in value then why did usdt never get adopted and why others got adopted yeah look so i would say there are two reasons for that primarily uh first is that first i think is more intrinsic to the terra ecosystem in and of itself right? like terra ecosystem i by the way i fundamentally feel that the luna blockchain or the terra blockchain was probably one of the better implementations of cosmos right uh, i'll come back to this later why i say this right but i think it was a it was a very good blockchain which had some really good apps built on top like shutter lastroport nebula and stuff like that uh, but to your question i think it was all a very hyper financialized ecosystem where people were like you said right magic internet money and like yeah. creating uh, all of those because the focus of the terra blockchain from the very beginning was this algorithmic stable coin peg and dpeg right uh, and then there was anchor which was another distraction of i mean distraction customer acquisition scale whatever strategy right mm-hmm. right so so there was anchor and there was usd which were the two big applications on top of the terra ecosystem mm-hmm. right and that sort of leads off and cascades into what other people are also building right so a lot of people were say building yield products on top of terra right saying that hey your mutual fund in india gives you whatever 12% i am going to give you 20% or yeah. 18% or 13% whatever it is right so the entire focus of the ecosystem was basically building hyper financial products right now what we have learned over every crash basically is that when you have these exotic hyper financialized products the systemic risk of contagion is also that much higher yeah right CDOs. yeah right like synthetic cdos exactly that so when you have such hyper financialized products the systemic risk is that much higher so in a bull market 
the returns look very juicy yeah. because there is leverage there is yeah. like you know all these beautiful things involved but in a bear market these things fail very very spectacularly spectacularly as well so like for example i was very surprised to know that there were very limited nft libraries on top of terra mm-hmm. right and can you even remember a single terra based nft project probably not mm-hmm. right so 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 when something like that happens it creates like so it's a factor of a where the ecosystem focused on completely right mm-hmm. which created systemic risk uh, inside it right if usd was or anchor was just one small part of the ecosystem then probably it could have still survived the entire luna debacle but it could not the the second uh reason why i think like this what leads to the adoption of a stable coin is basically the underlying methodology behind it right or what is backing it Mm-hmm. So we have USDC and USDT are different from UST mm-hmm. because they are reserved back, right? So there is one dollar that goes inside the USDC vaults, right? And they invested in some very like safe treasuries and bonds, right? And that is how they print one dollar of USDC there, right? Mm-hmm. So there you know that even if there is a run on the bank, there is enough in the bank itself to return that dollars back to yeah. everyone else, right? But is it that transparent about that? Well, USDC is USDT. people have been there are concerns they told that it's not 100% definitely it look but it's not yeah also. yeah it's not that right mm-hmm. and plus like you invest in certain things which will give you certain return in the future right yeah. so you have a probabilistic outcome of what it is going to yeah. be and then it gives you that right mm-hmm. uh usdc is fairly i would say kosher in that yeah, sense yeah. yeah uh usdt is a is a little bit of a question mark at this point i mean mm, not saying that it is not kosher but it could very well turn out to be not like that because there have been demands for disclosures from usdt which they are not disclosing yeah. anymore yeah, right? they have been trying to hold off that uh on usdt there are a bunch of put options at 70 cents now to a dollar so so who knows what what, what yeah. people know that we don't know right also, also in this uh, <laughs> just just to deep dive right. on hyper uh, financialized products uh, Uh, so, uh, do do you think like there are two types? Because I have seen products which give a massive yield, but of their own coin and not of a stable coin. Whereas there there there's, there's a certain kind of products which would give a yield on the stable coin, there thereby naturally devaluing it, versus devaluing their own coin. Because then, if I'm producing more coin in terms of interest or staking rewards, then my coins. Value will go down, uh, like cake, like pancake swap, uh, versus uh, what Anchor Protocol try to do. So, do, do, would you see a distinction in these? Look, two? ultimately, I would say it's about the business model itself, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that the rewards they are giving you is basically a cost of acquiring you as a user, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now they need to be able to see a reasonable path mm-hmm. where they are able to generate a return which is higher than that, mm-hmm. right? Now, uh, Anchor could backstop it for so many years till the point it could not. Yeah. Right, basically because there was jumping shot. Yeah. Uh. So 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 I mean, uh, I don't I don't necessarily see a key difference. Uh, because even when you are doing single sided staking, right, where you get a staking reward. Yeah. Basically, what you are doing is you are locking your supply out of the market so Correct. that the price goes up. Correct. Right. And hopefully the price inflation will be higher than what rewards they are giving you. Yeah. So that the community can like Make see money. see benefit from yep. that. Right. Yeah. So is that sustainable? Is that not sustainable? Who's to say? Right. In some cases it would be. In some cases it won't be. Right. I have an example on that. So I ex- experienced this product called Plotex, hmm. and when I was, you know, went to their platform and staked my Plotex, I got a B Plotex, which had a utility on their own platform to use and burn. 
and you know either I'll get more protects against that or I'll just lose them. I think that the the game that they made over there was very interesting, very exciting, and also it was not devaluing their original protects. Because and thanks for saying protect. It's a bag that we hold. So <laughs> something that you didn't back. No, we invested. We invested heavily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so in Plotex's case, there is a utility to their coins, right? Which mm-hmm. is that you can play the prediction market, prediction, market. Yeah. prediction marketplace. So that's my point. To to mm-hmm. what he was saying, right? There is a business model choice that you are making here, right? Mm-hmm. There are some places where you say just take and hopefully the price will go up and then you'll be yeah. fine. Which works well in the bull market does not work as well in the bear market. Yeah. Uh, so but, even even in the DeFi protocol, I mean, as a, as a user, you'll have to understand like the rewards you're getting. Where where's the blockchain or Where's the protocol earning from it? Earning from like, uh, is it is it earning from the trade that's happening because of uh, on the protocol, or is it is it the interest earning that uh, protocol is earning from the money it's borrowing to the user, or it's just printing money out of thin thin air in order to acquire? Yeah, right? yeah. so you'll have to understand. This that. this makes yeah. me very scared about cake because mm. pancake shop is just literally printing money and that's in their protocol. Well, I'm printing sure cake. Are, no, but they're getting that exchange fee also, na, which will yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, they, right. yeah. So, so they burn cake uh, with that exchange fee that Correct. they get. So they try to reduce supply, but on the other hand, they're giving a hundred and twenty percent APY. No, which but which scares the shit out of me. If the adoption of that swap goes hundred x, yeah. Essentially, they are taking hundred x the fee. It has definitely gone gonna, up, and that hundred x is going to get burned. Suddenly, what's being burned is more than what's being created for the. the if if that is true. <laughs> if 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 what is being burnt is much more than what is, is being given, it goes down with time. Uh, but in in their uh, algorithm, in their white paper, there is no mention of how much they burn with respect to how much they print. Okay. It is a very dynamically dynamic thing, just based on the uh, supply being traded of cake on that particular day. No, but I'm sure there is like there is some mechanism where the exchange ka volume impacts the fees that they get. Which impacts the burn rate of their, which yeah, impacts yeah. the burn rate, right? Good. Now, when that happens, mm-hmm. when that happens, so supply is going out, and yeah. they are giving a certain supply, right? Yeah. So that's an incentive to adopt pancake swap mm-hmm. over other dexes, yeah. right? So that more and more people transact there, mm-hmm. and as more and more people will transact there, mm-hmm. the 120 percent will start looking cheaper to you, yeah. Uh, rather than expensive as a protocol, yeah. Because you will be burning a lot more than what you're giving. Right? I think what they're doing, like, they're definitely dynamically pricing it. I'm sure. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it goes up. It sometimes goes down to 50. Yeah, yeah. But still, that's still 50 percent interest is crazy. But guys, I would love to know what Luna 2.0 is all about. If anybody knows what it, how are they thinking of recovering it and all? So basically, what they did, I mean, uh, they did a fork. Yeah. Of so, so they said okay, UST Luna. I mean, actually messed up what was happening. Mm-hmm. So they did. So they went back to the time they forked mm-hmm. to Luna 2.0, and they actually removed UST from the whole ecosystem, Terra ecosystem. So from that snapshot point, where from the, yeah, correct. So anyone who was holding UST was holding Luna 1.0, which they renamed to Luna Classic, Classic mm-hmm. Luna C, L U N C. So they dropped Luna. Two point oh points, and uh, they remove this uh, application of like whole UST. They remove the um, like pegging of UST with Luna, and they drop Luna. So what are they doing now? If they remove the pegging of a stable coin, so they essentially they have just removed an application from their ecosystem, which is UST, which, which is, is a stable UST, coin, which was a stable. Coin. Like, I, my question was always, why was another stable coin for the ecosystem? Could it not bridge? 
yeah it's a different no it's a different like technology right or like it's a different way of underwriting a stable yeah, coin true. right which is the algorithmic stable coin mm-hmm. and the reserve which the reserve reserve back stable coin are very different in terms of their underwriting in terms of their technology mm-hmm. right so the reserve back stable coin while it's safer it does not scale as quickly scale mm-hmm. yeah, right scale is whereas the algorithmic stable coin because you're literally yeah. printing it out of thin air yeah. can scale very quick can scale very quickly both serve the same purpose while optically both serve the same purpose right so so look i don't think algorithmic stable coins are not a worthwhile experiment this but experiment failed right this but guys sure, but yeah but guys when you're operating at this scale right when you're punching on an algorithmic stable coin and it will balance out right you operating at this scale because very difficult to force correct right that's what happened kind of isn't yeah, that but they try to uh, well i would say they try to do that because over i would say again over the last quarter or so uh, before this entire crash happened they were uh, trying to bring more and more reserve assets into their fold so i think they had something on the luna foundation card yeah, yeah. Uh, abbreviated to yeah. lfg mm. uh, meaning uh, as in the crypto culture <laughs> right so so with lfg they were trying to build a basket of assets which would serve as a backstop in case the dpeg happens mm. and they basically they try to fight uh, the dpeg with that lfg right yeah. so that is why the other markets also went down because mm. they had like whatever x amount of bitcoin in so their in their reserve right? bitcoin so they sold bitcoin yeah. right yeah. Yeah. now they sold bitcoin so the bitcoin price also went down yeah. right and the overall confidence in the markets went down and yada 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 happened yeah. and then but the run kept on happening So, so they were trying to, to your point, they were trying to course correct. They were trying to even spread liquidity with other protocols, right? So they bought some of Avax. Mm-hmm. They bought, uh, they they put, they created the four pool uh, mm-hmm. with uh, USDC, Dai, and USDT. So, so they were trying to spread the systemic risk as well a little bit. But I think uh, it wasn't just enough time for them to be able to do it. Exactly, because you. The scale was so massive, right? That scale was massive. To... Plus, the macro corrections were happening, right? Yeah. Anchor at the same time was coming down. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, like it just became like a perfect storm, which became very, very hard to get out of. I, I think in hindsight, it just becomes more rational to get out of. Yeah. You know, oh, this yeah. yeah, exactly. Rapid. But fundamentally, I was reading somewhere almost all crypto projects, every Web three protocol project, it's a social experiment at scale. Yes. Yeah. Or or retail investors' money. Can't really know for sure, like yeah. how people will behave. Yeah, exactly, right. And uh, and look, which is why I don't buy this uh, speculative theory of that. Hey, there was an attack or whatever. I'm sure, like there were a bunch of trading shops which are dumping like seventy, eighty, hundred million dollars of USD because they thought that this is business as usual today. And okay, I'll come in, place my trade, go back to sleep, and do something. Right? There was some discussion about short selling here also. I mean, it keeps happening. You know? Yeah. In all the asset markets, mm-hmm. I mean that is I how. I think on USDT also there is an option for yeah. like twenty. Yeah. yeah. Someone who's new to crypto, right? Like, what, like them to understand what is the probability this won't happen again, right? So someone who's putting. I mean, hundred percent it will happen again. Like I'm sure this will at some point. <laughs> That's how the they will. They, I'm I'm certain at some point two three years down the line there'll be a massive project which will fail, mm-hmm. right? But let's just hope it's not Ethereum. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if Ethereum fails, then basically, then, then we might as well go back to McDonald's. Is, the, <laughs> is the Ethereum mining reward per block still more than what they collect in gas for all the transactions? It is right. It doesn't feel like I because the so. gas is skyrocketing. It is. It is. It is. It is. From what so I know, it is because it's like a block can hardly hold. Yeah. N number of transactions. Yeah. But fantastic! I think. I I just think that there is there are. Uh, Lot of uh, amazing ideas we have just discussed on this pod, and for all the builders watching, uh, this is the best time to build. Um, yeah. And you've you've seen all all thoughts and processes by people uh, on this pod, and 
in fact i also believe that it's an extraordinary time to build uh, a lot of brilliant things so i think we'll we'll call it a day yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. thank you yeah. <laughs> thank you guys